Uh, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Being an Artist is Fucking, fucking Killing Me. <laughs> so, before we get into everything that we have to say this week, let's talk about copyright infringement. We are enraged. <laughs> oh, God. So, those who don't know, I was in a fringe show uh, with the lovely Kristen Pepper, who's the choreographer. We had her on the podcast. Um, the show's called Hooked. It's going to be in Windsor. The show's called Hooked. It did wonderful in Fringe. Um, it's going to be in Windsor. On Monday, we all get notifications. From Kristen. From Kristen saying that Some... there's an Instagram account that has posted multiple videos. Yes. Of the performance. And it's from behind a program. And that he was refusing to take them down. Yeah. So the post is like a multi-post. Mm-hmm. And the first one is like a picture of the program and then a picture of like either the front or back. There's like two pictures. And then it's six short clips of the performance. Mm-hmm. And then he posted a big long review. Right. Which and is fine. It, Everyone is allowed to have their own opinions. You're allowed to review something. Yeah. 100%. No problem. What you're not allowed to do is post choreography or another artist's content on your own page without permission without permission yeah yeah and not and he had originally tagged Kristen pepper yeah in the post and then she asked him nicely i'm assuming Mm -hmm. very nice very nice um politely to take the videos down you can leave your review you can leave the picture of the program but take the videos down especially considering we're touring and we're trying to sell tickets to other shows yeah even if you weren't, it would, it's still, like, ridiculous. Yeah. And I, so I went and commented on his page. <laughs> I went and commented on the post and was like, this is theft. Straight up. Would you go to a movie, take a video of it, put it on the internet? Also no, illegal. It's pirating. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking illegal. And what did he do? He just deleted my comment and blocked me. Right. He also blocked Kristen. I'm sure he did it to anybody else that anybody commented. Anybody that commented was blocked, and now he is on private. Yeah. Let's find his Instagram. Let's find his Instagram. Oh, my gosh. So. So, if you're looking to report a video, and if you also agree with us that this is ridiculous. Shitty. And shitty of him. His Instagram handle is at NHL12always. And you all should go, and if you're available to see the video, then please report it and yeah. block it, because it needs to be taken down, and he refuses to take it down. Yeah. And it's very not cool. And I feel like us, as an artist community, should band together and not let this happen anymore. Right. It's also very weird that his like entire profile has nothing to do with dance, or reviewing shows, or theater, or anything. And he said that in it. He was like, I was going to take a stab at my first review. And I was like, I mean... Great. Cool. You want to do something new. But take the critique from professionals in the industry and take the videos down. Also, if someone's asking you to do something, just do it. Yeah. It's not outrageous. No. You're being an outrageous child that you won't engage in a conversation with them mm-hmm. or listen to them. Be like, I don't understand why this is inappropriate. You right. can ask that question, and it's a totally valid question. And she would tell you why. Any of us would tell you why. And then you could be like, oh, now I understand. Now I'll take it down. Now it makes sense. Right. So, but whatever your fucking name is, I won't give the name. Should we give the name? <laughs> I don't think we should give the name. Okay. We'll just, we'll just give the Insta handle. Whatever you are, whoever you are, person. Yeah. You're being a douche. Stop it. Take the videos down. Stop. You don't own it. Yeah. 
You have no part in that creation process. You have no connection to any of the people in the show. You have no right posting videos of it that are also taken sneakily. Sneakily. Yeah. They're like from behind the program and like in between people's heads. Yeah. And like from one of the first rows because he's lower than the stage. Yeah. Also, that's hella distracting. Yeah. As a performer. Yeah. I had one person during one of my fringe shows at the very last moment, at a climactic moment in the show, get up and leave. First of all, you're not even supposed to be leaving a 40-minute show, and you're it's clearly wrapping up. <laughs> Do you know how distracting that is as a performer? I literally was lifting the bowl, and I almost just stopped and was like, can I help you with anything? <laughs> Would you like some water? I can give it to you. Just please don't get up and distract me while I'm trying to give an authentic performance here. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. They're not long shows. No. And if you had an emergency, then that's fine. But I don't think it was because it was ending and you just got up two minutes before the ending. Fuck. Ugh. Anyway. God. All right. Be a, be a good audience member if you're going to go see a show. Yeah. And just be, like, kind. Respectful. And respectful. And maybe think twice about your actions. Yeah. God. Don't, put, don't post content that isn't yours yeah. without, like... Checking with Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, who do we yeah. got today, Corinne, now that we're all uh, riled up about we, that? We have uh, Kendra Lee Timmons, who is a wonderful human being. She is an actress here residing in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, first started out in musical theater, then commercial. Now she does TV and film. We talk about a lot of things. She has a lot of great stories. Um, she talks about how her parents kind of were thrown into this world when she was a child actor. Yeah, not act, not art parents. No, not art parents at all. Um, but how she found her way through it all with the help of her parents and that they were really big on if you're not taking this seriously, if you're not in this, we'll take you out of it. And she really talks about transitioning from child actor mm-hmm. to now. And that's a really interesting process. Being a weird preteen yeah. teenager. Right. And having to deal with all of that at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because like, I can't imagine like as an adult being told you don't look like the right part or being told like your body's not right for the right part mm-hmm. is already hurtful enough, let alone when I'm going through puberty. Yeah. And I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Totally. I just got weird lumps everywhere. Like I don't <laughs> get it. And all of the feelings. And all of the emotions. <laughs> Oh, all at once. Anyway, Kendra, we salute you. Yeah. Let's get it started. Let's go. Do you remember your first audition? I do. uh, And I was actually, I was lucky enough to book it. And it was a weird, it was a weird thing that kind of like threw my family for a loop because I, I guess my first like introduction to it, I'd been doing plays and like, I would always like force family friends to like perform at get togethers and like I was always in the choir and things like that in school but I remember my parents lived in Toronto for like nine years together before they decided to have kids and that's when they moved to London Ontario it was a little bit smaller my mom could get a teaching job and my father refused to switch hairdressers so he used to love his hairdresser in Toronto so he would drive in Toronto on the weekends and take me and my sister with him to give my mom a little break and he would come into Toronto and get his haircut 
and his hairdresser had kids who did commercials and we were always hanging out and like doing ridiculous things in the, in her hair studio. And so at one point she said to my dad, like, you know, your kids are really cute. Like, have you thought about putting them in commercials? And he was like, Oh, you know, absolutely not. That seems so crazy. And she was like, well, like, you know, Kendra seems like, you know, she's out there and she likes to perform. And I was also fairly well behaved at the time. Um, in the same breath. And she was like, they love those kids on set. So if you get her involved, it's great. They have a blast. Their friends see them on TV. And then you put all the money away for their education. And it's kind of a great way to start doing that. And so we went to go see her kid's agent. And we did a little thing where they handed me a piece of paper. And, you know, I was acting and they would ask me questions and like to act things out. And they decided to take me on. And then I had my first audition. And I remember my parents sitting me down and going, listen, you know, there are a lot of kids who do this. You might go on 20 auditions before you even hear anything. Like, it's all about luck. And I was like, yeah, whatever, parents. Like, forget this. Watch watch me go in there. And I, it was uh, an infomercial for Highlights Magazine, which was like a kids' activity magazine subscription. And I remember going in, and they just asked me to do weird things and questions. And then, sure enough, like, a couple days later, they got the call that I'd booked it. And my parents were like, oh, no. Like, we're in so much trouble here. Like, she's going to think that this is how it works, that like you go in, you know, have a little bit of fun and then you get to be on TV, which is just not the reality for the most, you know, most people. And it was also like a big gig in terms of like, it wasn't a 30 second like blip and it's gone. It was a full infomercial that lasted like, like six minutes or something like that. Oh wow. Or I remember too messing them up a lot where I would go in for an audition for like fish sticks and my parents would be like, okay, listen, like you gotta, I know you don't like fish sticks, but when you're in the room, you have to, you know, pretend that you do, you know? And I would come out and they'd be like, how'd it go? And I was like, well, they asked me to eat a fish stick. They're like, did you do it? And I was like, no, they're gross. And my parents were, we just drove two and a half hours from London to Toronto for this 20 second audition. And you didn't even get past, like, I'm going to pretend to eat it. So... Um, there were lots of like blips in between. I was on a set and in your first encounter, there are ADs. So they're like assistants to the director who run around on set and they kind of look after everybody and that's their job. And so the AD who's looking after us would constantly come up to me like eight year old Kendra and go like, do you need anything? What can I get you? Would you like some water? Would you like a snack? Like blah, blah. And, and so there was constant like that energy around me. And I remember at one point sitting on the set and my dad coming up to check on me and he was like, hi Kendra, how are you doing? Like, do you need anything? And I was like, no, I'm good. But if I do, like, it's fine. Like the servants will get it for me. (gasps) (laughs) And he shut it down immediately. I was pulled (laughs) off the set. I was taken into a little hallway and just sat down by my dad and was like, no, that is absolutely not what this is. Those people are doing their job. But like at that time I had been, I had grown up watching Disney movies. And so my only association with someone who was like constantly like giving you whatever you wanted was that. And I just, It just went to show me how valuable my parents were at the time, because since then I've worked on sets with kids who like are brats. Yeah. Who just didn't have that, Mm -hmm. who my parents were prepared at the drop of a hat. If my behavior changed, if my grades dropped, I had all of these things where if that happened, I wasn't doing it anymore. Mm -hmm. As opposed to some of the kids who get into it where it's like their parents want that for them. So they're willing to make parental sacrifices in order to further their success, which was something like my parents were absolutely not on board with. So from that moment forward, I had this massive appreciation for like the hard work that everyone does on a set and the idea of like sacrifice too. Cause that was a big thing where it was like, I would have an audition and my best friend's birthday party would be on the same day. 
And I would be like, oh, I want to go to my friend's party. And my parents were like, well, if you choose a party over the audition, like you might not get auditions anymore. We might not do this because it's not your priority. You have to choose what you want. And so I remember missing a lot of birthday parties. And I look at it that way now too, where it's like, you know, I may want to go do this or I may want to go on vacation, but my priority is my job. It's what I want. Mm -hmm. And so always buy insurance on flights. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Never buy those non-refundable flights. (laughs) Because as soon as you book a flight, that's when something happens in my experience. So yeah, so it was, it was an awesome way to like learn. And then I hit that point. Uh, like a reality wake up call when I turned like 12, the preteen years where I got really awkward and like didn't know what to do with my body. But I thought I was like the best actor in the world. And I remember going to auditions and then they just slowly like petered out and I wasn't getting them anymore, which is when I turned to musical theater. So it kind of, it kind of worked out for the best that way. Before that, like preteen thing, was there like a point where you, where you struggled with like going to auditions? You were saying like you would choose them over birthday parties, but yeah, was that like a hard decision for you or was that? It was initially. And then, but the plus side of that, I had been lucky enough to actually book things. So I knew what the result of an audition was. Like if the audition went well, I knew that meant I got to be on a set and like work with different people. And I loved that so much that I was able to go, you know what, if this is going to lead to that, it's worth making the sacrifice now. And the lovely thing is that people who know you and people who love you, like your good friends understand that aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. So I've been very lucky. And a lot of my friends were, if we make plans or we're supposed to do something an audition or a gig comes up, like they get it. They know that that's kind of what I have to do and, and how I have to take it. So I got better at it. It was tough though, still as a kid. And at one point I remember my younger sister expressed an interest in doing it because we both went to the agency, but I was like all over it. Like I was gung ho. I wanted to do everything that she asked and I was so excited and energetic. And I just, my sister was over it. She was like, I don't want to do this. This is, this is stupid. <laughs> and then later on when she saw that I got to like miss school and was doing all these fun <laughs> things and she would sometimes come to set and see how exciting it was with like all the cameras and like the massive tables of food, which is always the most exciting part for anyone who's right. Who's never been on set before. That's like, that's the best. That's the highlight. And so I remember her approaching my parents and going, I want to do them too. And they were like, no, like we can't, like we can't have two kids doing this. Mm. And so I think they were able to talk her out of it. There's like no resentment (laughs) from that at all. I mean, I don't think so. Every once in a while, I mean, I feel guilty about it sometimes where I go. There were also lots of times, even in, when we were in high school, I got all of my volunteer hours by doing like a haunted hayride show where we would put on like a scary play at the Pioneer Village and it would help them raise money for their, like for their upkeep and stuff like that. So that's how I got my volunteer hours, which is ridiculous because it was just like so much fun. It mm-hmm. wasn't really a sacrifice at all. And I remember, um, one of her friends wanted to come and sign up to do it. And so my sister was like, I want to go too. And I was like, no, it's my thing. And I remember getting in a big fight about it. And so there are things like that. I look back at and go, that wasn't great. Like that wasn't, that was the wrong decision. And I feel like maybe had I not been that way and like been so overbearing and protective of what I saw as my thing and my identity that maybe she would have found like an outlet or found that she also enjoyed it. 
Um, but she's she's so remarkably talented that I feel like later in life everything balanced out. Like she's wildly intelligent. She went through university for anthropology and absolutely loved it. Um, she taught herself to play guitar. She's an incredible cook. Like yeah. you know, she can do so many things. Right. Um, that I I hope it's balanced out. I mean, do you guys? Have I a- think she's more talented than I am. But <laughs> do you have those conversations? Sometimes, yeah. Where it's just like, I mean, I think it's anything with siblings because you gain so much perspective looking back where mm-hmm. you go, you know, we were both pretty horrible to each other. We were the only siblings and we were two and a half years apart. So like she older or younger, she's younger, Okay, uh, but she's taller. So I used to get hand me ups because <laughs> she would grow out of her clothes and they would, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we were very close, which also resulted in like a lot of fights. But it's wonderful because now we're very close. Like we're living together right now. Oh, great! Yeah, and it's just like, it's it's wonderful. I think all those fights and all that aggression. Like there is no one I can talk to about anything, like more than I can talk to it about it with her. Like I think we both we both talked about that too, where we're like we'd be lost without the other one. Like we might fight. And have those moments, but we always tend to reach out and go. But there's, there is nothing we would fight about that would ever separate us. How did you deal with, like, work petering out, though, when you were 12? Especially going through all of those changes. Yeah. It's just, like, At the same time. So compounded. So insecure. So. I mean, I remember it being frustrating because... I mean, I was also lucky because I was in London. I was also isolated from it, which didn't become frustrating until later on where I realized that all of this work was happening. Whereas I was just under the impression that, like nothing was filming in Toronto anymore. Like, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to really feeling like, oh, they're just it. refusing to see me or whatever it was. I was just under the impression where I was like, you know, they call when there's work. So there just must not be work right now. So I'll have to like fill my days with other things. When you left high school, was there like a defining moment where you were like, this is what I'm going to do forever? Or was it just how you'd grown up and you'd never wanted to leave it? I think, I think it was a combination of both because if I'm being honest with myself, I probably knew the first time that I got on a set that that's what I wanted. Um, yeah, Mm. I think like I, I just loved performing and I, I also am very noncommittal, like in terms of like decision-making. So I just made it up in my head that if I got to be an actor, I could do everything. Like I was, I could do every possible job. I could be a doctor for a couple of years and then I could be, you know, in it's obviously not in its reality, but it was just weird way to like, that. to like not make a choice. I didn't I have to a make a decision. I could be a politician. I could be right? a lawyer. I could be all of these wonderful things. I watched like two episodes of Law Order and I was like, I'm going to be a cop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, this is it. This is it. And then on top of that, you also got to like never give up that childhood. I was a big player of pretend. Mm. Uh, like I just, it was my favorite thing to do. Like if there was a pool, I was a mermaid. Like there just wasn't, I, that's how I entertained myself as a kid. And so that was another aspect of it too, where it's like, I never have to grow up if I choose this. Cause not only can I be a doctor and a lawyer, but I could be an alien and mm-hmm. I could be, you know, like a princess or a warrior. Like I could do all of these things that I couldn't in a reality. So, I mean, but I was also realistic about Not it. saying that aliens don't actually have jobs, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not saying that being a princess isn't a job. Exactly, Sorry, exactly. Markle. That's a job, too. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, Accurate. 
So yeah, so I think, but I've also always been a realist about it as well, where I knew it was going to be difficult. I never went into it going like, oh yeah, this is great. I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to be famous and I'll have no problems and like this. It was also a, a conscious choice where I went, I'm going to do this, but it's going to be really hard. Like I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot of other things in my life, potentially, like and looking down the line. You attribute that to your parents. Yeah, I think so. They're a combination of just like guidance and just like, and I'm also, I have a weird personality in that I feel sometimes like I'm a pessimist all the time, but I have a lot of friends who tell me they love having me around because it's a positive energy. So I don't really know. Why do you feel like you're a pessimist? I don't know. I just always look at like the grim reality of things where I'm like, but is that also just being an actor? Kind of. I mean, <laughs> right? I think that's just like you have to. I mean, you go to enough auditions and you get t- turned down. I'm saying that you've been turned down a bunch, but like you turn down enough <laughs> that you have to be like, you kind of have to be like, I could get it and it would be great, but I could also not get it and that's the reality. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yes. And that's probably the 100%. larger reality. Yeah. yeah right? Maybe that's, you're right. Maybe that's where it's from. That like, just that feeling of also just keeping everything in check too, because I tend to throw myself into things wholeheartedly, which is always a problem. I remember even when I was younger, like I wouldn't get something and be devastated for like days and it would affect my life and it would be this negative, horrible thing. And it would circulate to like, Oh, I must be horrible and I must be so bad. And like that person must be so much better. And all of those things that I think every actor has thought, Many times. Anybody that walks into audition, because I still go through that. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So I think maybe the realism was also a way of coping with that. We're just not getting too committed Mm. to the idea of... of, Yeah. Not not falling in love with the part before... It's yours. Yeah. (laughs) Which... It's so, so interesting. And I still, to this day, the auditions I go into and think that I bombed are generally the ones where I go a little bit further or like I'm considered or a book versus the ones where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is me on paper. This is mm-hmm. so perfect. Going in, nailing it, and then being like, have we heard anything yet? And then being like, no, I don't think you're anywhere <laughs> close. And being like, what? <laughs> like, how? So I also think like perception is weird too. So now, now that I've done enough of them, I can kind of go in and go, well, it could or couldn't like who knows mm-hmm. uh yeah and just looking at the odds and looking at the luck and all of those things that are involved not just the the talent because it so rarely comes down to talent yeah did you ever go to a post-second or like a university or college or anything um i i dabbled I, I went to a musical theater program in Windsor at St. Clair College, uh, but I didn't last very long. Where they used to use that term of like, well, in the professional world. Ugh. And I hated that because I was They just don't know like, what the fuck they're talking about either. They're teaching <sighs> in a university program. We have this conversation program. all the time about university professors, how they think that like, when you're in it, you're like, these, these people know. They know everything that's going on. And you're just like, and then you leave they university. know fucking less than I do. Half yeah. Like, yeah. And then insane. you leave the university and you're like, this is not what I expected. No. Right? Yeah. And, and it's a weird Bullshit. thing to where, it's so funny. It's true. Everyone who's gone to theater school has experienced oh. that. And it's not to say, like, I, had, I also had wonderful teachers at that school who were very realistic about how it was, where they were like, listen... I'm going to teach you like techniques and ways to cope and go through this, but coping mechanisms. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically coping or like, mechanisms for coping, the real world. More for like auditions and things like that as opposed <laughs> to like life. But, 
Um, that's something that just should be a course in university. Yeah. How to cope. Everybody. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so they would, they would say things like, I'm going to teach you this method or this way. If it works for you, great. Keep it in your pocket. If it doesn't, that's fine. Lose it. And those teachers were wonderful, but it was just that they didn't have a balance of, of both. But I remember in the second semester of this college program, um, they decided they were going to put on, um, this very small Canadian written musical about the Boyd gang. It was called Girls in the Gang. It was a really cool musical, but it only had four people or eight people in it. Four boys, four girls. And it was about the guys in this gang and their relationships with their wives, girlfriends, whatever it was. And I remember when they were auditioning, they were like, this is going to be the second year show. So we auditioned and then for some reason, they cast first years in the show instead. And I was one of the people put in it. And everyone else in it, like, didn't like me. <laughs> like, I had butt heads with one of the girls in the program fairly early on. Um, but, we heads, just, but heads how? Well, we just didn't really get along. And um, she was a bit of a bully. And my reaction to bullying was not great in that I thought retaliation was, like, the best way to handle it. Uh, which is not, <laughs> absolutely not correct. I would never recommend it to anyone else. <laughs> but, like... You- how did you retaliate? Well, I just didn't let her get away with it. Like, I would just... Um, she... And to be fair, like, this is the other thing about it, too, where I look back, I don't... I didn't know that much about her. So I don't know what was going on in her life that made her lash out in the way that she did. So I'd love to give her the benefit of the doubt going forward. But she used to just, like, kind of center in on people who are particularly good at something and like find a way to bring them down. So the first one was like her roommate where they got in a bit of a confrontation. So she went to the res and told them all these things that she had done to her. So then her roommate got punished and had to move out. And like, she would just, it was just like a weird kind of manipulative. And she, at one point, um, was performing in a class and stopped to yell at someone for distracting her and then managed to get that girl in trouble. And so it just got to a point where this just sounds like not a good person. I mean, but again, I don't know. I don't know what was happening that made her do that. Cause I'm sure there was something because it was just strange. I'd never been bullied up until the point that I got to college, which makes no sense. Like really, all of my bullying happened when I was young. No. Really? Yeah. You would say that you never got bullied in university. Uh, I mean, like, not to the, not to my face. I don't face. think you're supposed to. Not like, bu- not, I don't like, think we're you're not supposed like, to. like, come meet me outside, I'm going to steal your lunch money. Not that type of bullying. <laughs> but, like, I feel like in university, bullying is, like, a lot more just, like, manipulation of people. Yeah. Maybe a little To be bit. honest, I don't remember a lot of university, so I'm just going <laughs> to... <laughs> Blacked it out. Yeah. Right out. I just, like, don't think about it a lot. So maybe. But, like, I remember elementary school. Your like, stronger kids, memories are that. Yeah. Of my that. kids, like, little kids picking on me and calling me, like, fat. When I was a small child. No. I used to get called fat all the time. And I, I had mean, a little, like, short pixie cut, so I've got all the names. <sighs> People used to make fun of me for being short, but I, again... I, I retaliate. Like, I was a bit... I would be a bully back. Like, I think people looking back, I'm sure there are people in my life who would go, oh, yeah, Kendra bullied me for sure. Because it was just, like, bully or be bullied, and I just made the choice that, like, I was not going to be Fight the other bullied. person. Yeah. So... Fight I got, like, bullied for my teeth in high school, and that's, like, why I want to get crowns my entire life. Someone told me my teeth were chick in high school. I do remember... fucking religious bitch. 
We're chiclety. And ever since then, I've wanted to get crowns. Oh, it's so sad how that happens. Yeah. Because yeah. that was me. I hadn't started shaving my legs. And I remember at one point overhearing someone being like, oh, yeah, like, Kendra did blah, 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 blah. And the person being like, who's that? Is that the girl with the bush legs? And I was like, <laughs> uh, oh. And I remember oh. that changing everything. I started shaving my legs. And I look back now and I'm like, I wish it hadn't. I wish yeah. I'd had the thought to go, you know what? Yeah. Yes, it's Kendra with the bush legs. Like, is there? Do you have a problem with that? <laughs> but yeah, it's like when you I w- come to I those realizations that bullies are bullies for a reason. Yeah, but you can only let that shit slide for so long. That's right? that's true. Also, right? I, hopefully, at some point, you come to the realization that it's coming yeah. from like an insecurity or a problem in your own life, and you yeah. Can't- and maybe and maybe she's there again. I only went through the program with her for a year, and then got out. Um, but yeah, so she, this, she ended up, we ended up having a big fight at one point. Um, and then she reported me to the head of the program for cyberbullying, which, <laughs> because I had made a, uh, it was like a social media status or something about like, that didn't use her name. It was very vague. I was just frustrated. And again, super immature. I would never do this now. <laughs> Where, like, you vent your feelings, Facebook. like, through a Facebook status. I hate um, People still do that, by the way. That's true. We, I guess that's true. That. I, maybe I'd be tempted, but less so, probably less so now than then. And then, yeah, she reported me for that statement. I remember sitting down with the dean. She was like, I'm sure this is just a girl thing. I know people have confrontations with each other, and they end up being friends by the end. And I just looked at her, and I was like, that's never going to happen. Like, I'm, we're never going to be friends. And then, sure enough, we got put in this play together uh, where we were playing best friends. And the two other girls in the show were also her friends. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I was in this show that I hated where I was ostracized and like, I didn't really feel like everyone was friendly, like to an extent, but it wasn't fun. Like it wasn't whatever, what I saw everyone else having when they, cause they were ensemble in the rock show and Fiddler in the Roof, I think was happening at the same time. Um, so and I just remember being so frustrated with that, like, like being stuck in that situation. And I remember the, the Dean saying to me like, well, in the professional world, you get stuck, you know, you sometimes have to work with people that you don't like that much. And I was like, you know what though, in the professional world, I have the ability to say no to a project right? and I have, and I'm being paid. Like, yeah. so yes. that's a huge, that's a huge difference that no what one seems to talk about. Being paid. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, like going, you know, what is this amount of money worth sucking up the fact that I don't get along very well with this person? Like right. you could make those kinds of decisions. So I never liked that as an excuse. Hmm. Um, Have you had similar moments to that now that you are in the professional world? Um, you know what? No, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've butt heads with um, people I've worked with in terms of like, uh, their technique or like the way they approach things. Like there are, I've worked with a lot of actors who put themselves first, which is also a great way to work. Cause I've seen it pay off for them in that. And what I mean by that is not like crazy diva behavior or, or anything like that. It's just, um, some actors will go, listen, like this is my moment. So I want to make sure that, you know, 
I'm my wardrobe is perfect and my lighting is good and I will take all the time that I need, even if that means, you know, somebody else doesn't get an extra take, like things like that, Mm. which I think successful actors are very much entitled to. But because I came from the musical theater world, my outlook is like, we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. So if the sound guy is saying to me, if you hug that person over this line, or like ruffle your clothes or do something with your hands, you know, that's affecting me, then I will do my best to not do that. And like incorporate that into my performance, into the scene. Same with like, same with wardrobe. They've worked just as hard coming up with an outfit and a concept, unless it's uncomfortable. Right. Like I, I will do my very best to like, to make it work and make it fit. Um, versus I worked with people who would be like, you know, would get it altered so that it fit the contours of their body exactly. And just like, and things like that. Um, which again, I have seen be successful because when the final product comes out, they look great and they've focused and they've taken the time. Um, but to what point does that like detriment other people? Is that okay? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is because so like it's a pretty thin line between that and diva like that. Very yeah, and yeah. You, you're just you're just past that point, and I think it's and it would depend who you ask if it's diva or not. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. And it, it's also too. I've been very fortunate to work with new actors as well as like seasoned veterans, and so that's also very different when you work with people right. who've been in the industry for ages, and they go. I spent my youth doing the, I'm going to do this for you. And I'm going to sit in the chair for nine hours. Now I put it in my contract that I don't like, you know, they've just figured out the things that work for them and make them happiest on set. And I also think that's a great way to go through it as well. And I, it's kind of cool getting to like kind of figure out what kind of actor Mm -hmm. I like I'll end up being. I hope that I always stay true to making sure that everyone's happy as much as possible. But again, without sacrificing your own performance. Cause when people see the final product, rarely do they think I do now because I've been through it. And my sister does cause she's kind of lived through my experiences. And she also spent a fair amount of time on set, um, chaperoning where you can now go to a movie and go, Oh, that performance isn't great. But then I can sit there and go, yeah, but look how cold it is. And Like, you know, you never know what kind of lighting or what frustrating thing was happening. Like, there are so many other factors to a performance than just what the actor chose to do that day. Mm -hmm. And But for some reason, actors always seem to be the ones who fall under fire of being like, oh, they're not a good actor because of what's going on. But you don't really know what's happening behind the scenes that's, like, affecting that performance. So, and part of being an actor is like, is working through that and trying not to let it right. affect you. Yeah. But, but it's the same thing with praise, right? Because if yeah, something's great, yeah. then they're going to get it's a lot everybody. of the, they, it's them and the director that get a lot of the praise. Right. But then if it's bad, then they get a lot of the flack too. It's, it's yeah. Right. A, it's a role that's flippy floppy. Yeah. About how it's double edged. Yeah. Yeah. You get it both ways, which is why I'm, yeah, again, I always, if I haven't, I should always be thanking the people who are involved because right. it's. It's an army, like it's a village right. and it's people, it's also on a set. I don't think people necessarily realize how much worse the crew get treated than the talent. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely absurd because there are lots of times I remember being on set and having to defend the crew member who was with me because I went over and asked them a question and then someone comes over and yells at the crew member for talking yeah. and me having to go, no, no, like, sorry, that was my bad. I asked the question, but like talent are kind of put on this pedestal of like, of, you know, 
we have to treat them the best and blah, blah, blah. And I do remember someone explaining it to me where they were like, it's a matter of everyone who's behind the scenes, they aren't on camera. So if your talent is upset, that shows up. Like, that will ruin your day versus if crew's upset. And I don't think that's a good enough excuse. No. I never will, but that's how it's happened. Like, that's how it's developed. Mm-hmm. What's your, what do you do to prepare for auditions now? Uh, I think now... Well, actually, I had a little bit of difficulty when I was transitioning from doing auditions for theater versus doing auditions for film. Mm-hmm. Because in theater, everything was always word for word. Everything has to be perfect. It's rehearsed for a really long time. Right. Like, not only do you memorize your lines, you're memorizing the cues of the person before you, all of that kind of stuff. And then I was going into auditions for film and getting a lot of feedback that was like, you know, Kendra's anticipating what's coming and it feels rehearsed and there's something that's just not like super real and in the moment about it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember having to like figure out how to fix that. And so what I've discovered is I just can't learn the lines that well. Mm-hmm. So I won't go in and look at them until I like do a first read when I get the audition sent to me, but then won't really like look at it past that. I will learn it the night before go in, like go over it a couple times make sure I have the vague idea of what's yeah. happening, but adding a lot of those like ums and uhs and also kind of making it sound like it's your own voice is also super helpful because a lot of film in my experience is, it has a lot to do with whether or not you feel like the character. So if you're trying to make somebody else's words your own, that it's so difficult to do and to make that seem real. So if there's something that's just not coming out of your mouth, right? Or you're not, confident with it change it like it just if it doesn't sound like you it's not yeah and and again having as I've I write stuff and I have known writers and so there's a fine line there as well where they've worked really hard to put this together and some moments are precious and it's difficult in on in an audition to know which ones those are mm-hmm. um but I think it's more about the intent than the line itself mm-hmm. right it's as long as you're not changing like the emotion or what's happening or, you know, where the person is coming from, you're usually okay Mm -hmm. in that realm. So I will go in and try to be a little bit more flexible. And then also what I'll try to do is just make very clear, distinct choices. I've uh, been to a couple coaches and that was some of the best advice I ever got where it was like, you know, make your choice before you go in there, Mm -hmm. be able to be flexible if it's the wrong choice. And the casting says to you, Oh, absolutely not. Cause I've been in that situation too, where (laughs) you go in and you're super confident and you can't let that shake you. You have to like, you know, have your secondary choices or like, or be able to mix it up. But to initially come in with that confidence of like, I know how I want this done. Mm -hmm. Like I used to panic when there was a a chair in the middle of the room. And if I'd rehearsed it standing and I would go, Oh no, like, should I sit? I don't know. And sometimes I would ask them. And that's also a tough thing too, where a lot of the times in my experience, casting is kind of based on whether or not you feel like the person Mm -hmm. as opposed to if you are acting the person. Well, it's more about that feeling and like anything else, if you're interviewing someone or if you're working with someone who doesn't seem like they really know what they're doing, it kind of creates this, this barrier where you're going, okay, they're not hundred percent confident. Uh-huh. That's okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. But it's so, it's totally different as opposed to when you're in a group and someone comes in and goes, okay, this is great. Like oh, I've done great. this before. No problem. And there's this ease. It's, 
level of trust, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is so easy to feel in a room. So when you come in and you've made your choices and you're happy with them and you can kind of like, and that's helped me calm the nervous energy. Mm -hmm. If I know I've made a choice to do something like pull out my phone at a certain time or use a prop versus not using a prop, um, all of those kinds of things help you feel more confident when you're in the space. Mm-hmm. So that's always like advice that I will give to other people. And then also to just try and, you know, no one in that room wants you to do a bad job. I think that's another thing that used to, used to mess with my mind a lot. I would go before right. I would go to audition. I was like, Oh, I can't mess this up. Cause if I mess it up, like, you know, they're going to think I'm awful or, you know, they're looking for any excuse not to use me right. versus going Someone in with that mindset. said this to us yeah. on the podcast too. Dave, maybe? No, Frank. He was like, no one goes to a show that they pay money for right. and, and want wants- to see you do a bad job. Yeah, right? exactly. He's like, so being nervous doesn't make sense. It's exactly <laughs> the same thing, where it's yeah. like, they're all in there because they want to see you do a great job yes. and be successful. And they feel that way about everyone. So there's also, I used to like freak out competition-wise. I remember first coming to Toronto after college, because what ended up happening with all of my frustration in that program is that that following summer, I went to my agent. And I was like, listen, I know I haven't really done this since I was a kid, but you I still had an agent at that point. Mm-hmm. Has it been the same yeah. one ever since? No, no, it hasn't. I, when I was a kid, I was brought on by an agent, um, who actually ended up retiring. She ended up leaving. So she passed along her roster to other friends. Mm. So then I kind of got an agent through transition. So oh, that was my okay. second agent. And she's who I went back to in the summer and was like, listen, I like, I know I haven't done this in a while, but I missed the professionalism of a set. Like I was just missing that because you already knew what that was. Yeah. The amateur stuff of university was like, not, you weren't interested in. Yeah. It felt, it was fine. I, like I said, I had a blast. Like there were lots of aspects of it. I absolutely loved, but there was this missing link of like. It's like, it's almost like they didn't have confidence in us no, no. where it was like, yeah. oh, you're learning. So it, there was never this feeling of togetherness. It was always like the teachers or the director knew better than you. Right. And mm, that's interesting. You yeah. were underneath and let me teach you all of these things and I'll get you there. Versus when you're on a set, everyone's kind of, even if you have less experience, right. you got the part for a reason. Like you're there. Everybody's assuming that you're going to come do, and your, do job. your job. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there was like a collaboration yeah. versus like a dictatorship. Totally. If that makes any sense. So I was craving it. Like I was just, and I had been for a long time. Like mm-hmm. when did you, Well, even when I stopped doing, uh, commercials, like went through that awkward phase, I was still doing like, I was trying to do community theater. I was in a theater group and then I was doing stuff in high school, which the high school program that I went to for specialized musical theater was, was as close as I got to the professional. Cause we were all, we had all auditioned to get in. Mm. We had all made it in and it was like our whole semester was dedicated to putting on a play. Mm. That was like, you know, you had um, drama in the morning and then music, lunch, dance. And then you had one other slot that you could either fill with a subject, but most of us just took spares Mm -hmm. so that all you were doing was putting on a play in those older years. So that was close. I really, I almost got it back there. And then, um, having to go through the college year where it was just kind of frustrating. And I, so it had been a long time coming that I just hadn't done film. And I went back to my agent. I was like, listen, 
like I'm ready. Like, let's make this summer about auditions and like get back out there. And then again, like incredibly lucky. I don't know how it happened, but uh, the first thing I auditioned for it was winging it and I booked it. Oh, wow. And that filmed over the course of the summer because there were kids in it. So if you film over the summer, then you don't have to do tutoring. Yeah. Um, or there's some that you do, but there's like some, it's more lenient. It's a lot easier to do. And then it was, they were in their second season and my character was brought in because they had in their first season, um, they had like a raccoon puppet kind of like elf. Like it was, the idea was to, um, the creator and the director loved, like loved puppeteering and like, and that art form. And it was so great. And he had very talented puppeteers on set with him all the time and absolutely loved it. And it was kind of, they were trying to bridge the gap between the younger and the older Mm -hmm. since we were playing grade nine, like, Mm -hmm. or they were in their first season, then grade 10 for the second season. But, um, it was like, this weird preteen high school, but then they were also trying to get their younger audience. And after the first season, they, it was, it was popular and people really liked it. However, they discovered they weren't getting any of the younger audience and they were losing their older audience because of the puppet. puppet. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So I guess they had a discussion at some point where production went, listen, we'd love to give you a second season, but you're going to have to get rid of the puppet because it's just not working. (laughs) So Um, you were the puppet. I was the puppet. (laughs) So the premise of the show, um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is that it's about a guardian angel in training. And in order to get his full angel wings, he has to help someone. And so his task was to make the least popular guy in school popular. That's what this kid really wanted. So he was sent to Earth to help him become popular. And so there was this world of magic where... He was an angel, like his guardian angel, but because he was in training, things used to go wrong a lot. He didn't quite know what he was doing. So <laughs> I relate. And you're like, also because I mean, being anyone popular, in training knows that it's difficult. Yeah, being popular is the most important thing in high school. So the way they worked the story, also this was, the raccoon puppet was a male, but they also discovered that their ratio was off because they had four, the two leads were males and then they had two supporting males and only two supporting females. So... Um, the creator also wanted to try and even things out. So the way they justified it was that a guardian angel in training had in the medieval times accidentally gotten herself stuck in this puppet. And the longer she stayed there, the more the puppet's personality like took over, which is why she became a male. So in the first season, first episode (laughs) of the second season, this is so weird. It was also weird explaining to people what, my first gig was they'd be like, Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. What's your part? And having to go through this explanation. (laughs) Um, and so the first episode was them discovering that someone was trapped and her like escaping and coming out and then having to start over as an angel in training. And also at the same time, like causing more problems. But wait, also from medieval times. (laughs) Yes. Also from medieval times. I don't understand. Yes. Very weird. Very weird. Yes. So, so that was kind of like, the first leap into things and they were filming over the summer, which was great. Uh, cause a lot of other people were in programs or they were still on, in school. So they would do this for the summer and then go to school during the year. And so over the course of filming, they were editing as they went and the producers were just super happy with the new stuff that they were bringing out and the new storylines and stuff like that. So they came to them probably two weeks before we were supposed to wrap production and said to them, you know, we want, how many episodes have we filmed at that point? 
I think they wanted 16 more episodes. What? Yeah. So they wanted to double what they had already done. It was something like that. I might not be remembering the numbers exactly. But they essentially wanted to double what they'd just made. Right. And go straight into it so that they wouldn't have to, like, eat the cost of storing everything and rebuilding and Mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things. So at that point, uh, the contracts, it was, like, extended to cast where we had to make, everyone had to make the decision as to whether or not they wanted to do more or not. And so that was at the point where I, I knew I wanted to do more, uh, but the result of that was having to drop out of college mm. in order to take the job. Mm. So that you was were a big... Frustrated. I was frustrated with it, but it was still a big deal. How did you wrestle with that then? Uh, it, was, it was really hard. And it was funny because... Looking back, it wasn't, it was absolutely the right decision and I shouldn't have worried about it at all. But I just remember at the time, it was everyone else's expectation. I had always done really well in school. I was always, you know, had really high averages. I did well in every class that I took. It was kind of like that, like teacher's pet, keener, kind of like that was my personality. And so everyone who had ever taught me just had this expectation that I was going to, you know, go to university and, and, and complete something and be successful. And I think my parents felt that way too. So did you talk to your parents about that? I did. Yeah. I remember having discussions with all of them being like, what, you know, what should I do? Like, what is the decision here? And they were lovely. Like they never put the pressure on me. Cause I remember when I decided to go to college versus university, like I don't even think I applied to, excuse me, to that many universities. Like I, it was mostly college programs because that was the practical stuff that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew I wanted to perform already. So they had no problems with me choosing college over university. Like there was never a discussion about that, but I, it was just that idea of having to drop out and not complete it. And Mm -hmm. cause I do remember there's also a time where I tried to do both. I remember trying to coordinate with the college and go, listen, I'm going to be away, but you know, I'll try to do the assignments. And if you give me my film credit, then the, you know, that's one last class I'll have to do and catch up. But it was just, it was impossible. Was it the first time you'd ever dropped out of something too? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anything that was like, that was big. I had, cause that's like, if you've never been in air quotes, like a quitter yeah, that like racks on your emotional yeah. and like your sense of self almost, right? I think a little right. bit. And it was like, my parents had also instilled that in us as well. Where it was like, if you start something, you finish it. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, right. which was also great. I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, that like, that guilt was in the back of my head. I think I dropped out of one production prior to that, but that one felt justified because it was a lot about safety and, uh, it was during the hayride thing. I had done it for a couple years and towards the end, they just got wildly disorganized and would try to make us put on shows in like sleet storms and stuff. Oh, and the director of the program kind of like, <laughs> that's dumb. Yeah. It was a bit of a disaster. So I just, I, I quit that one. And I remember my mother was not happy with me when I quit that one. Um, oh, so that might've like, yeah, maybe, maybe I remember that and was like, Oh no, she's going to be mad at me again. Through all of these stories that you keep telling us, the, like the note that I keep getting is that you care a lot about everybody else on set. Yes. I do. And you told me a story the other day when we were at work together mm. about that you... Oh, oh God, which one? <laughs> uh, about your agency. Um, when you feel like you feel some sort oh, of yeah. guilt when you don't get work because yes. it means your agency's not getting work. Yes, very much so. And it's so funny because my agency has never put that on me. 
Like, right. that's, it's something that... Where do you that, feel this from yourself, though? Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just... I think I'm just aware of of how things work and what's happening with other people. Because what we were talking about was having... Was, like, making the choice between doing, say, like, a super low-budget... Something that your friends have tossed together and need yeah. you for a certain amount of time... And going, I don't know if I can do that because if I miss out on an audition for something that's a little bit bigger, that maybe has a little bit more money, like that's also something that, right. because my agents make a commission on that, mm-hmm. that's something that I'm depriving them of. Right. Um, but again, that's never been discussed. That's always right. been something that I'm just aware of. And you just also never know where those opportunities are going to lead right. as well. Um, so I think it's also FOMO. It's that fear of, yeah, fear fear of missing out on, right. I, it's the same reason I don't go on a lot of vacations either. I'm so afraid that like, you know, that, that two week, two weeks I take off, that's when something was supposed to happen and like wrestling with those weird, I also have like weird ideas of like luck and karma and I don't know necessarily where I believe it, but I do believe if you put good energy out, you get it back. Or like if something terrible happens to you. It's because something, something better will. is coming along, and it wasn't supposed to work out that way. Yeah, um, we were just the little coping this. mechanisms, yeah, the coping yeah. things you tell yourself to get yeah. through. Exactly, I believe that one anymore. The terrible things happen because something better for is. a reason, or not terrible things happen for a reason. Just like because this, I didn't get this because this is happening. Uh, like, like when is that? <laughs> when is like, that? I'm still waiting. Still waiting. <laughs> this terrible thing happened to me four fucking years ago, yeah. and I'm still fucking like, waiting. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about that the other day, actually. Mm-hmm. Where's like, my Cirque du Soleil contract with all my benefits? Still not there. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> like, so you put a lot of these like expectations on yourself. Yeah, I do. And do those I, ever become too much? It hasn't so far, to be honest. I, because there, like, there is a line, but I think. It's not in the vein of, like, I'm going to give everything I have into making sure everyone's okay. It's just, I will do what's in my power to make sure that everything gets done and everybody's looked after and all of those kinds of things. And I have talked about it with other actors where they feel like they're, they're the same way. Mm-hmm. And it does sometimes, you know, to the detriment of a performance or, like, right. mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Because you always hear the crazy stories of actors who go to, like lengths and like or have seen like videos of actors going crazy on set and like blowing up at people because they're so in their character and it's just like that's not the kind of actor that I am Mm -hmm. I I want to be the kind of person who like when the cameras are rolling I'm there I'm doing my job but as soon as it's done like I'm also very aware that we're having fun like we're you know we're just like putting something on yeah no matter how dark or whatever it is yeah when you call cut, you're still a group of people who are like, who have a ridiculous job. That happens a lot where I turn back and just go like, I do this for a living. Mm-hmm. It happened a lot on Winging It too because magic was involved. So like you'd be doing the most ridiculous things on a daily basis. We'd be like, today we did my favorite episode that we ever did. Um, it was called Don't Dimension It. I remember the title. I loved it so Don't much. Don't Dimension Because the, <laughs> the lead was... <laughs> Uh, bored with like, you know, the mundane high school life. So to try and cheer him up, we built him a locker that when he goes inside, it's a clubhouse, but we screwed up the magic. So every time he leaves the clubhouse, he's in a different like alternate universe. So we did pirate world. We did (laughs) ninja world. We did backwards world. And then the culmination was film noir. 
world. And so it was just insane. Like, I just remember going to set on those days and being like, today I'm a pirate. And they rented. <laughs> not a, only they, I'm a medieval. I, not only angel. am I a medieval. Yeah, exactly. I'm a magical angel from the medieval times who's here to cause trouble. Today I'm a pirate. And they rented like this wooden pirate ship on wheels. <laughs> and not only that, but the creator of Winging It um, was so connected with comedians that all of our teachers were like incredibly talented um like Canadian comedians. Like we had Colin Mockery on the show a couple times, um, Matt Barham and uh, Naomi Snikis. Um, we had like just so many talented people. So you've got Matt Barham dressed as a pirate who's, <laughs> he's supposed to be the science teacher and he's dressed and he's like just going off on jokes about how we're pavement pirates because the boat, like we were in the parking lot on a pirate ship on wheels. And then all of these other jokes just like came off of it where it was like, he had a saying about, you know, may all the red lights be in your favorite. Like it was like the most ridiculous, (laughs) awesome experience. And just sitting back on those days and going like, this is my job. Like this is what I do. It's incredible when you Mm -hmm. can call cut and just look at each other and go and laugh. We're do like, this is ridiculous. Like the <laughs> fact that we get to do this to show up to work every day. Right. Yeah. And do this is pretty crazy. And right. Yes. I'm pretty fortunate. So that's where like, in terms of like being method, I don't think I'll ever get there. Cause I'm still, I'm, I'll just be still too much in awe of like, this is my job. Yeah. <laughs> How's uh, auditioning going lately? Have you like, has it been challenging? Has it been now that you've kind of like settled into a path, not a path, but maybe like a, I think it comes and goes, to be honest. I think there are days where, like, I feel great about it, where I go in and I have confidence in, like, all of the things I have behind me Mm -hmm. and my track record as well. Um, And then there are other days where less so, where you go, maybe that was it. Like, maybe I'm not supposed to work ever again. Like, maybe I've hit. (laughs) That was it. I've been been so lucky. Maybe that's, that's all I get. But I think it's also gotten tougher in terms of, like, I don't think people fully realize the way auditions work in that it's not like you book something. Cause I was fortunate enough in the last two years to book the lead of a series. I was the lead on a kid's show. Um, like it was, it was awesome. It was absolutely fantastic. But people are under the impression that because you have a lead now, it's going to be easy. You can book whatever you want mm-hmm, right. and it doesn't work that way. You, it's like a ladder. So like before I was competing with other people with no experience for guest spots, now I'm competing with other people who've had leads Mm -hmm, and who are kind of in the same position or even um, above that. I'm like, I'll be like, Hey, whatever happened with that job? And my agent's like, Oh, you know what? Like they liked you, but they're going to go with Abigail Breslin. And I'm like, obviously they're going to go with Abigail Breslin. (laughs) Like, like, what do you mean? (laughs) So like, you're just competing with a different on a different level. So that's sometimes frustrating where um, you got to like have her turned down it for like the other people to be considered. Yeah. Like, you have, to have like people that are, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's, and it's just that feeling of like, I, f- you know, everyone always said like, you know, once you book a lead, that's, that'll, that'll that's be it. it. It's going to be easy. And it's just, that's just not the way that it no, works. Because the standards keep getting higher. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. You're just in, on a different level. And I've, I've had one of those years where I've been, I've uh, hung out in second place a lot, but always like always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Um, which is good because it means you're on the right track, but you, it's hard when you don't have anything to show for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, anything like tangible. Yeah, yeah. Where you can go and it, and I, I also am 
trying not to be the the actor who is like, well, I was second place for this, or I was second, you know, like, because yeah, that, again, that yeah. doesn't really mean anything. A lot of people were probably, like, in that in that right. upper area, but it is a good sign. It, it means that, like, you're making traction, and you're getting close, and it's similar to how it was happening before I booked a ride, which was the, which was the lead experience um, that I got to do, which was incredible. So, in that sense, I am better at auditions because I've had the history to go. Mm-hmm. I've had those rough years where nothing was happening or I was getting this close or I had a signed contract or, you yes, know, I got... contract got pulled for me? Yeah. Well, it, not really. It was, um, we were at the chemistry read point where mm-hmm. they made everyone sign a contract before they knew how much they wanted you. That's weird. If, it, it, I don't know. typical? I think it's... I think it's typical. It didn't see like no one was like, this is a weird thing you have to do. But I had to go to the screen test, sit in an office, sign the contract that said, you know, how much money you're going to make and all, all of these things. And then it was down to me and one other girl and having, you know, and then they put us on hold for 11 days. And then on the 11th day got the call that I didn't get it. And so like, there's things like that where like that can be incredibly frustrating. But now that that's happened to me before, a huge thing that was wonderful, I know that that could be a possibility mm-hmm. again. So it's more hopeful as opposed to like, but I have lots of friends who've gone through like six or seven years of that right. nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it is really frustrating because you're working hard and you're getting really close, but you don't have anything to show for it. So when people say things like, Oh, like what's next? Like, what are you working on? Or what is, or like trying to explain to family members yeah. who are going, you know, what's the next thing? And you're like, yeah. I don't know. I've, you can't really sit there and go, this is how many auditions I've been on and this is how many right. hours I've spent. And like, this is my full-time job, but I just, at the moment, don't have anything to show for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a thing that I have trouble getting out of. And even like the odd time where I'm working like part-time jobs or whatever it is, that used to kill me um, in between, like before I had booked anything like super big, but I had done winging it. There was a bit of a year gap in between where I had done like the odd guest spot, but nothing, nothing super crazy. And I would be, you know, working my part-time job and kids would come up to me like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you were Denise on Wingy. Like, why'd you quit acting? Oh, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. Oh, that's and, like, yeah, it just, exactly. Yeah. It just feels like this, oh, like, I and, and you, I haven't, like, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm still here and it's, and it is, it's true. It's like this terrible thing, but it just comes from people not fully understanding how what works. the world is. And it happens, especially with kids stuff. Cause kids have these like wild ideas of what the lifestyle is like and how wonderful it is. And I remember doing an interview with, uh, doing press for winging it where they were like, what's the worst part of the job? And I was like, the worst part of the job is having to get up early. And she was like, Oh, how early do you have to get up? And this was a time where winging it was like a low budget Canadian project. And so they didn't have any money to transport cast in. And they filmed in a school like way out on Western road and so I used to have to get up at 3.30 in the morning to get on the 24-hour Bloor bus with all the shift workers, go, like, take that bus all the way up, and then take the Weston bus across. It took, like, almost two hours. Uh, and mm. then get to set to do the work for the day. And then, luckily, usually people, we all arrived at the same time, so someone would, like, drop me off at a subway station right. on the way back. But 
it, she, I remember t- telling this to the interviewer, and she was like, kids are going to lose their minds because they think that you guys travel in private jets and, like, yeah. you know, flit off to L.A. and do all those things. And it's just like, it's not, it's not the reality of a, of a no. Canadian, uh, <laughs> like, television show star in any, no. in, by any means. Uh-huh. So that's tough. How do you feel about, like, we were talking about kind of how, like, I mean, everything's changing, kind of, but Mm -hmm. as you, like, progress into acting, (laughs) um, as women, like, the roles, kind of, like, the ongoing joke in Hollywood is that there's not very many roles for women between the ages of, like, 40 and 60. Yes. So, like, how do you feel about, like, all of that going on right now? I mean, I think it's great. I think... Like, there is more roles being made. Yes. And there seems to be, like, the gap seems to be... I mean, like, let's not turn a blind eye to it completely, but like, it seems to be closing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, It's getting there. It's because it's become relevant conversation. Yeah. It's, that's obviously changing the minds of, of people and what projects they pick up and what they want to produce and like all of those kinds of things. And I mean, I think it's great. I think there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But I've noticed a change in just some of like, the characters and even some of the breakdowns I get now, which actually say on them, like, which is so, which is so interesting and so silly, but, um, I've auditioned for a couple like kind of networky projects that it says in the breakdown, we're not looking for network pretty and work against that. And that's like crazy. Like that's such a new thing Mm -hmm. to see where they're going, like the specifically putting in there we're not just going to cast people based on looks or like, that's not the goal in doing this. Right. And that's really cool. Cause that's often not what you see. It will be described as like, you know, sexy so-and-so right, or, right. or whatever it is. Like that's kind yeah. of what you're used to seeing. So it's nice to see that shift. And I've auditioned for a lot of like, like just really interesting young women. I think young women are still in a little bit of a protective bubble and that like, we don't want to do anything too crazy mm-hmm. to, you know, to kids at least, mm-hmm. which is still what I tend to be playing. And, um, so in that sense, I haven't seen as, as much of a shift as I'm sure people who right. play a little bit older are seeing, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for where that's going. I hope that it is going as right. opposed to just being like the in topic that right. we're on right now. Uh, cause that's happened in the past where it's like, Oh look, we're going to do this shift and this way. And then it doesn't quite, and it's and hard it dies in the media. Yeah. 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 I think it's also helpful that there are so many other outlets yeah. for shows that's yeah. helping as well. Cause you're yeah. going like, you're looking at, at, there's a lot of self-produced stuff, small produced stuff. Yeah, yeah. And like a lot of web series stuff. Like totally. It's not even just about like the way streaming has changed everything. Yes. You know, there's, you know, there's Netflix, there's Amazon and like, I'm seeing more auditions and more projects coming from those places. Um, so that's also like increasing the volume is forcing people to make interesting choices. Mm. Yeah. In terms, but like, I feel like as, a, as dancing, like I have to realize that like in like 20 years, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Cause like no one's going as a dancer. Like it's my, it's your body, right? right. Your body just isn't going to be like, it's like any athletic physically. Thing. Yeah. Right. Physically capable in art. It's or in, in arts, right. And as an actor, it seems like it's not that you guys are unable to act anymore because you're still able mm-hmm. to voice yes. and portray these characters in the same way. It's just, they're not creating and there's fewer positions for it. Yes. Totally. So are you like, do you look forward thinking like, okay, like by the, I'm only going to be able to do this until I'm like 
60 years old and then like right. the roles are going to be done or do you think like well or do you even think that far in advance I mean I do have an ongoing joke that like I feel if at some point I can't play young anymore which, I which have, is typically what you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is so I know that transition will be tough. I think it's tough for everybody where you, you all of a sudden have to think of yourself in a bit of a, a different light. And I'm lucky that I'm not I'm not near that yet. Mm. Um, but I think it will happen. And I've thought about it and I've thought of, you know, that maybe a time where I start have to start creating my own work for myself, right. which um, is a great way to go and is always advice that I've gotten. But my joke is that if nothing happens at the very least I'm gonna get to play the Betty White like characters like I'm in this for the long haul like yeah. I will be playing the raunchy grandma <laughs> like absolutely so in terms of looking forward that's probably as specific as I've thought about it mm-hmm. you would never but go into writing or directing maybe I would I don't think it's not something I write I actually write a lot um nothing that's like come to a project yet just because I'm still growing my confidence in that area where it's like, I think you have to write a lot of stuff and sift through it before you find something. Right. You have to make a lot of garbage before yeah, anything comes exactly. out. Right? Yeah. And so I'm still very aware. Um, I've had a few people like read things and give me advice, which has been so great and so invaluable, but that's been my coping mechanism when I get really frustrated and always has been even, even as a kid, I remember reading like my, you know, my novels and being frustrated with the way like it would end. So I would sit down and like write the ending as it should have been. And (laughs) so like that will sometimes still happen to me where a lot of my motivation and creativity comes from this place of like, you know, I can't book these or like the roles I want don't exist. So I'm going to sit down and write one. And that's like, what kind of roles are those? I mean, just like, it's all over the place, to be honest with you. I have this weird list of things I want to do, and it's not just necessarily, like, you know, dramatic work. It, it's ridiculous stuff. Like, I want to be in a period piece. I don't, I don't really care what it is. I just, <laughs> that idea appeals to me, but um, it's never been something I've auditioned that much for. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with, like... Um, I was actually very fortunate. I wanted to be in a Christmas movie, like, a, just like a like a cheesy Hallmark yes Christmas movie that has always been on my list and I got to do it a couple of years ago and it was fantastic it was great uh so like even things like that where it's like it's not even that serious or like be in a raunchy comedy or like or you know be pregnant or like just like just things that aren't available to me you want to have all of the experiences yeah, yeah. I want to play things that are different and in film that's a little bit harder in theater typecast yeah yeah in theater it, it was funny because even still you have your hit in theater where it was like you know I would play the kids um I would get but at least in theater I still had the ability to do the ingenue mm-hmm. whereas that's not even an option yet for film as far as as far as I've gotten. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's even narrower because again, it really comes down to like what your feel is. And it's really hard to fake that. Right. And I think that's happened to me a lot of times where it's like, I'm just flattered. I make it far in a process on a character that I read and go, Oh, okay. Like this <laughs> yeah. is going to require quite a bit of work where for the most part, the people who are the right fit for the roles, it's often not work. It just, it suits you Mm -hmm. or like your energy is the same or something like that. And there's very little you can do to really change your energy Mm -hmm. in a convincing way. Right. Um, Which is what's great because there's always something to work on. Like there's always something to push for. But I just, 
Um, I, that's how I try to make positive spins on the things that I don't book, where it's like, you know what, though? Like, I was, I was considered by producers for something that I read and went, Yikes. there's no way. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to push really hard. So any traction that you make on those, I think, is always, like, is so wonderful and gratifying. Because you're like, you know what? Like, this shouldn't have worked. But we went along for a little bit. Right. We convinced someone <laughs> along the line. Um, so, yeah. So that's really interesting. I haven't thought about the mid part. But I can imagine myself writing more seriously and getting into that. Um, I would love to do that and see what that's about, but it's also a big, scary world yeah. about financing and producing that I, that scares me. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. Mid part would be the hardest. Yeah. Because what's your role? Like a mom? Mm-hmm. Right. Know, you know, all those yeah. like stereotypical female yeah. roles that you're like, cool. Thanks. The lawyer. That's when the, the lawyer, lawyer and the doctor, that's when those. <laughs> Look yeah. real good. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a good, good place to end. end. Yeah. Ooh, woo! Yay. Thank you. That was so fun. No, no, thank you so much. For oh, I always forget. I'm sorry. I called it Corinne. Ask her. I always do. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Is being an artist fucking killing you? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> right. Not yet. Anytime soon. <laughs> Just waiting for it. Yeah. Corinne's it might. Like, it might. But it might not. Yeah. So far, I still love it enough that, you know, I think the time when it really starts to kill you is the time where you have to sit down and go, is this what I want? And have that discussion. Not necessarily make that decision, but... Think about it hard. Yeah. Yeah. Corinne, is being an artist killing you today? Kind of, because of weird emails that I got. Oh, no. <laughs> Shouldn't say that. <laughs> weird emails. You know uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Kind of killing you. It's awesome. kind of killing me. Thanks, Kendra. Bye, guys. Thanks Thanks for for listening. Bye. Do all of our plugs, Rainy. Oh, yeah. Go (laughs) follow us on Instagram. Woo! At GalPalProds. If you have any questions about this episode or if you have any comments, send us an email at galpalprods at gmail.com. Also, we have a Patreon account, and we would really appreciate it if you gave us some money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, please. Also, review us. Shout out to Patricia Allison for reviewing us. You're awesome. Also, the only other the only reviews are me and Corinne. <laughs> we reviewed our own podcast. You need some more. So please go review this. And then with that said, thank you for listening. Bye, guys. Ooh. Bye.